Welcome to CME on ReachMD. This activity, entitled Practical Considerations to Manage Residual ASCVD Risk, is provided by Medtelligence and is supported by an independent educational grant from Ameren Pharma Incorporated. Prior to beginning the activity, please be sure to review the faculty and commercial support disclosure statements as well as the learning objectives. Configurations are basically a wrap-up, um, uh, taking it together in all that has been discussed up to now, guidelines to give us guidance on cholesterol management, endorsement to use of statins, clinical trials of azetamide or PCS can growing the value of the lowering, and a persistent effort at figuring out what it is with uh, triglycerides with the most recent um, um, reducers that give us um, a tool to go after people with moderate hypertriglyceridemia, but perhaps the benefits are not because triglyceride levels go down and they're going to be a parallel to that. Those are my decisions. You will see slides that have been seen before, so that gives me uh, uh, easiness. Ease, um, uh, it's going to be very easy for me to just go fast um, on this. So I want to just add a few points. So, you remember a good conversation from uh, Dr. Underberg about uh, coronary artery calcium scoring. And uh, and here I think I will just highlight a few more things. You also heard uh, a lot from uh, Dr. Watson about the importance of lifestyle, diet, exercise, and uh, smoking. And I would say that that is um, something we need to remember in our practice um, and actually goes beyond these three things. As you know, there is... Um, there's a lot more that we cannot capture um, the um, what what is coming up as the uh, polysocial uh, risk factor is one that doctors need to be more and more aware of as we uh, build up histories for our patients. So, but you know we have a risk estimator and we can do whatever we can do right with uh, the knowledge you have at a certain time. So as long as you know that our risk calculators are not uh, completely comprehensive and accurate, it's a good starting point. Next slide shows you um, that, uh, as uh, Dr. Underberg was saying, uh, if we deal with people who have not had uh, prior cardiovascular disease and you're dealing with a primary prevention setting, you have uh, different buckets to place them on, and you have to use the information that is considered primary and then some risk modifiers. The primary is what he has already shown you, uh, age, sex, race, blood pressure, cholesterol, HDL, LDL, history of diabetes, smoking, and use of some medications. As you remember from uh, Dr. Watson's uh, presentation, though, lots of things are missing here from what is considered primary. Like, you wouldn't know about body weight. You don't know about L3 delay. You don't know about triglycerides. You don't know about physical activity. You don't know about family history. There is so much out there. So next slide shows you pretty much... Uh, um, a series of risk modifiers that is actually not all-inclusive. There is a lot more than that. But, but as, as a good doctor, you want to be aware of uh, family history of uh, early CVD. Um, the fact that the hypercholesterolemia may not be a common one, but a more severe one, perhaps primary, perhaps inherited. Um, the presence of the metabolic syndrome or the factors that uh, probably increase risk in mo more ways than just um, by virtue of one variable like triglycerides or HDL. The presence of uh, kidney disease, inflammatory conditions. And you can probably read faster than, than I can uh, mention this, 
bullet points, but uh, there are actually a lot more. As I was saying, recently I went to uh, uh, Bangkok, where I am helping a group of hospitals create uh, a network of preventive cardiology clinics, and uh, I was surprised everybody there was wearing a little device here, uh, nurses, doctors, and um, even many patients. And those were uh, electromagnetic repellents for what they call particulate matter of um, size um, bigger than 2.5 microns, which uh, is a real problem in Bangkok because of pollution, but it's a problem in many cities in the U.S. as well. And that's an additional factor that's part of the uh, polysocial risk exposure. And I think one day we'll need to be aware of that and maybe we could and quantify it one day. So when we look at biochemistries as ways to uh, enhance our knowledge of risk for a patient, we have several things that we should test uh, at least once or several times, depending on the values. And some of them are in the imaging realm. And um, the, the, uh, uh, there is no time to discuss ABI and CIMT, but I want to say a few more words about coronary artery calcium scoring. So as was said before, if you test uh, for a non-contrasted CT of the chest in the right patient population, you can use all the information for practical purposes. You can use a zero as um, as um, an impetus to de-risk the patient and decide on a different strategy for long-term management. And if you have a number different than zero, depending on where the threshold goes, you may uh, consider initiation of statin therapy or even go for the lowest possible but it also goes beyond that, as you probably know if you're using it regularly, is that the uh, calcium, uh, the presence of calcium in any position in the coronary tree flags um, a plaque, a, cholest a cholesterol plaque. And so the um, positioning of the, um, of the calcium deposits in the coronary arteries are also sometimes uh, platforms for further diagnostics or interventions. Uh, the European Society of Cardiology guidelines are come out strong in in uh, recommending the use of calcium scoring for risk assessment. In uh, in the U.S., you know, we have the problem of mo most insurances not covering it, and so what I recommend to uh, private practitioners or people in uh, uh, hospitals is to see whether there is a way to control pricing for patients. Well, this is what we have done in my hospital. We have a, a very low price that makes it actually uh, feel just like a high copay for our patients. The, the guidelines continue to put a lot of emphasis on the LDL side of things uh, by endorsing not only the statin as before, but also the uh, use of adjuncts like a ZMIB and PCSK9 inhibitor for further LDL reduction to, the, to, expect, to expect additional cardiovascular risk reduction. The, the, uh, there was no guidance on what to do with triglyceride lowering, particularly because the reduced trial results were, um, were presented at the same time as the society guidelines. And so I think the way you should see it is in the spectrum of what we call the cardioprotective drugs out there that can be given only to diabetics or only to people with certain um, presentations. You have the, the interventions for dyslipidemia, and uh, there are two routes that are supported by clinical trials, the route of um, uh, uh, LDL lowering, uh, starting with statin and going with azetamide and the PCSK9 inhibitor, and the route of triglycerides, starting with statin and going the route of icosapentatol, uh, with the caveat that it's not just for triglyceride reduction, you don't have a target of triglyceride um, uh, threshold to reach.
So uh, you have seen from uh, Dr. Miller that the fibrids uh, and niacin trials have not been given us um, evidence for interventions with these two medications for the sake of, uh, of reducing cardiovascular events in people taking a statin. And, uh, but we have that information for azetamibe and PCSK9 inhibitors, and those are in general considered to be uh, medications that work uh, a good pathway, and the good pathway is the one that we that is linked to an upregulation of the LDL receptor. And now there is another drug that uh, can do that, and um, it's benfidoic acid. It came into the market um, two months ago, and um, benfidoic acid is an oral agent, uh, one pill a day, and um, it uh, it targets uh, an enzyme that is uh, farther upstream, upstream, not downstream of the uh, HMG coeridectase. Um, so it's on the same line, but actually works well with statins, works well with azetamide. The, the power on LDL cholesterol is not very much, 20, 20%, 23%, but um, um, it, it's going to be an additional agent to be used for the strategy of placing LDL to go in patients at high risk. It doesn't have, of course, a cardiovascular outcome trial, uh, and um, we'll see how the market uh, adopts the, uh, the new entry here. And I want to just finish with uh, the guidelines that have taken the information of the reduced trial. And um, I don't know if you remember from the, the guidelines that were shown before, I think either I think it was Michael Miller who showed that some of the guidelines were cutting triglycerides at 175, but the reduced trial was cutting at 150 and then ended up enrolling patients uh, with triglycerides uh, as, as low as 135. So the FDA has approved the use of icosapentacone for people with triglycerides above 150 uh, for cardiovascular risk reduction, but most guidelines have actually taken the 135 as the recommended threshold. So there's a little bit of a discrepancy between guideline endorsement and FDA approval, which creates a little bit of a problem with insurance coverage and cost to patients, as you know. So keep keep that in mind. In our practice, it's been difficult to get patients approved if they are below 150, even if they're above 135. But things are always fluid in the world of insurance um, denials. Um, many people take fish oil. So the one advantage of, um, of recommending a drug like icosapentetone is that as you describe it to the patient, the patient is uh, uh, absolutely uh, willing to take it. There is no resistance to taking um, a natural molecule like icosapentetone. The uh, big challenge is another one, is that many patients say, I've already, I've already, I'm already taking it. Uh, and they are not taking it. They are taking dietary supplements that contain uh, who knows what, but definitely not enough amounts of the EPA. And very likely the EPA has to be unchallenged by the DHA in order to um, to work. And so I think for all the patients that qualify, the prescription of uh, icosapentethyl uh, will be warranted to ensure that 25% risk reduction that uh, was seen in the reduced trial. The uh, supplements, as I said, are all over the place, um, and um, they may or may not contain what's declared in the label in the back because there is no FDA oversight or batch-to-batch -batch, uh, quality assurance in production. And there is a possibility of other substances that are there, the fat going rancid. And um, 
And even if I was saying I'm going to take enough to uh, to raise my EPA levels uh, to the point of protection seen in the in the reduced trial, that's very difficult. If you just go around purchasing uh, supplements at uh, the grocery store, um, you need uh, a handful of dietary supplements to achieve the levels ingested of uh, reported EPA and DHA um, uh, levels that uh, could produce uh, the benefits, even though uh, it is not really expected that a supplement will do that. A look at um, basically cost effectiveness. Uh, for PCSK9 inhibitors, they started out as being uh, not very effective, but the prices have, have gone down recently, and that has changed our view of the cost effectiveness of uh, PCSK9 inhibitors. For um, IPA, it's much more clear-cut. It is cost-effective. It, it, it hits all the targets for cost-effectiveness, even when you set at the lowest amount of 50,000 U.S. dollars for per quality-adjusted life years. So the uh, guidelines have uh, taken uh, taken note of the um, of this evaluation and the uh, most recent. Um, Professional society recommendations all mentioned the use of, um, of, uh, eicosapentethyl either with terms like, uh, can be considered, should be considered, or is recommended, uh, by the National Liquid Association. So next slide is just a summary slide. For the sake of time, I will not, uh, repeat what I just said and, uh, I will stop here. Thank you. You've been listening to CME on ReachMD. This activity is provided by Medtelligence and is supported by an independent educational grant from Ameren Pharma Incorporated. To receive your free CME credit or to download this activity, go to reachmd.com slash medtelligence. Thank you for listening.